Hello and welcome to Series 6 of the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries. We hope this podcast can bless you in your day-to-day life as you listen to a range of testimonies about God's faithfulness within the lives of so many. The views expressed in this podcast don't necessarily reflect that of Preset Ministries UK. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I'm really thrilled to be welcoming Brian Rebetz to the podcast today. Uh, Brian grew up in Bournemouth during World War II. And from a young age, he was drawn to engineering. Uh, He went on to gain qualifications in metallurgy, maths and electronics. Uh, After a short time working for a company that manufactured cranes, he started his own business in 1969. And after selling it in 1988, he set up another business uh, a year later together with his three sons. Uh, That company is called BCMS and it advises shareholders and owner managers how best to sell part or all of their businesses. BCMS advised privately owned businesses across the spectrum from manufacturing, technology, media, healthcare and food. The company employs some 260 people across five continents. Uh, Brian uh, married Anne in 1959. They have three sons, as I said, David, Stephen and Mark, with whom he is still in business. Uh, Brian loves writing and working alongside his sons, and he also loves preaching the gospel. Uh, Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, Brian, you grew up as a boy in World War II. Um, what are your memories of this time? Well, I had quite a, a number, really. I mean, to ask the war had always been going on because it, I, before I could really remember it, it had just been going on. And um, I remember in Bournemouth uh, seeing some Focke-Wolf's 190s swooping low over the town, about 50 feet up in the air. I can still see one of the German pilots looking down at us, walking with my mother, and um, and also um, there was one or two buildings bombed in, in Bournemouth, which we watched them burn, um, and uh, and of course D-Day and things like this. A lot took uh, from Paul Harbour and Bournemouth Bay. A lot of ships were in there, and. Um, and, and of course, whenever we went to school, we had to take our gas masks with us. <laughs> and um, we also had um, in the school uh, itself, we actually had an air raid shelter made of steel uh, with some mesh on the outside. Uh, we often used to wonder how good it would be because <laughs> if you're on the outside, you could burn. But nevertheless, they obviously thought it was a good idea. And so that was that. And then of course, uh, ultimately, uh, the war ended and uh, nothing much changed, rationing went on, in fact it got worse I believe, and so on but uh, those are the memories I have at the beginning yeah. at least. Hard, difficult I mean did you fear for your life at all? Were you ever were you ever thinking, goodness me I could be killed in one of these uh, air raids or no, not really? absolutely not, it <laughs> never even occurred to us <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the innocence of youth, you know I guess. Invincible yeah. Now, at 16 years old, you entered an engineering practice, uh, but by 18, you had had a nervous breakdown and were suicidal. Uh, why was this? I mean, what what happened? Um, I don't think there's a simple one reason answer. 
I can give. What I can say is this, it's a combination of things. And first of all, of course, my father was away during the whole of the war. Um, in fact, he went away before the war to Malta. He built the runway over there, which, funnily enough, is quite useful during the war. <laughs> and, um, but um, so I saw him, I suppose, for about mem memory, in terms of memory time, about 10 minutes. That's all I can remember of my father. And when he came home from the war, he'd actually found another lady and left my mother. So we never really did see dad um, until um, 45 years later. And that was an extraordinary experience. And, um, but, you know, I, so we grew up without a father. And my mother, for some reason, I don't know why, my brother and I, she would never hold us or cuddle us. She just never, ever did. She was a good mother in every other way, but when you're young, you do need someone to hold you, this sort of thing. So it was all a bit odd. And then um, I, 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 lost, I was struggling with confidence. Uh, I remember that at school and everything else. Um, we had some pretty harsh teachers who would lash out with a cane at the slightest reason. And we probably deserved it, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I grew up with very little confidence. And um, it was finally dealt a shattering blow, I think, when I was about nine or ten years old. Um, my parent, my mother and, my, and her, her sister, and those are my aunts, um, they, they used to call me the ugly duckling of the family. Um, and one, I can just just smile at it now, if you like. Um, to, in that time, when you're very young, it puts some nail in the coffin of my confidence. I distinctly remember one occasion when I was at my grandmother's house, and they were all standing around laughing at me as the ugly duckling. Mm. And I remember at that young age, I didn't know what it was, but something died in me. It was hope. And from that moment on, I didn't really want to live. Um, I struggled by uh, until I was 18. But at that point, I had a, a, a mental um, an emotional collapse. And I didn't know what it was. I was just, um, I couldn't sleep. I was down and everything else. And the doctor recognized I was having a nervous breakdown and um, I got sent to a home, a, a, a psychiatric hospital in Crawley in Sussex for several months and, um, and, 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 that, and from that point I, 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 be, I don't know, I suppose um, I stabilised a little bit, not stabilised at a good place, stabilised without going down yeah. any more than that. Uh, I was under psychiatric care and drugs and things like that for some years, so I think probably the drugs must have made that, they must have helped a bit. Mm. It made it extremely difficult to pass any exams because I couldn't retain any information at all with all the drugs and with all the issues going on in my mind. But it made me think, well, looking back now, yeah. um, how many 
people there are Christians who've got low self-esteem and um, my experience was this is a bit beyond the question but my experience has been that since I became a Christian I've realized self-esteem has is is not what drives me now it's I know that God accepts me oh. and when I found that God accepted me and not only accepted me but loved me that somehow translated into me a sense of value yep. which I didn't have up to that point in time yeah. I remember when I was 18 my mother said to me um, I used to wonder when I got home whether you'd be dead when I got home um, I, I, I was you know looking at gassing myself and drowning myself yeah. and so on but um, I, I, it didn't happen and it's amazing to me that God even in those days had his hand on me he was just I see it now his restraining hand so far but no further yeah but um, they, they were tough days. They? Sounds goodness me. So, uh, I mean, uh, when I um, when I was in my fifties, I came across some diaries that my mother had written. And when I was born, uh, she described me having. I mean, I think she was writing it as she was giving birth to me. That's how it sounded. And she was loved writing my mother, a bit like you. And she describes when I was born as being absolutely hideous. And I'm I'm so pleased I didn't read that until I was you know happily married in my fifties with three sons. <laughs> but if you're a young child as you were being told those things, that is so damaging and hurtful, isn't it? And as you said, not no physical affection there either. It, it um, kills you. It definitely it kills you. It, it kills you mentally and emotionally. It's absolutely destructive. Yeah. Now, um, four years later, uh, you married. Anne, uh, with whom I understand you are going to be celebrating 60 years of marriage uh, this year, is that correct? Which is fantastic. Many congratulations for that. Now, neither of you were Christians at the time, but I understand, though, that looking back, you could see God's hand in your meeting. Um, How was this? And then how did you come to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And um, I, I was going to the dance with my, a friend of mine, um, and I, I, just at the last minute, he changed his mind. He didn't want to go. Well, since I was dressed and everything, I thought, oh well, I'll, I'll go on my own. Anne, who never went anywhere on her own, was a nurse, and she arranged to meet other nurses from the hospital in there, and they were going to go as a group of nurses. And for some reason or another, and we don't even know why to this day, they didn't actually turn up. And Anne arranged to meet them in there. So she was on her own, I was on my own, and we just happened to uh, to meet in there. And um, and it sort of, and I walked her home uh, and so on. We just, it, it went from there, I guess. So it was extraordinary. Um, looking back, um, we can see God's hand in it because neither of us would normally have gone on our own. Um, We had a fairly difficult uh, courtship, as you might say, um, but 
God, you can see it now. He he joined us together, mm. and um, and I know I've got the right wife. <laughs> that comforts me because if she's the right wife for me, I must be the right husband for her. <laughs> well, sixty years together. <laughs> Proves it, but so how did you come to faith then in 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 the Lord? Well, I, I we moved to Banbury. Um, I, I got a job at Alcan Industries there, and um, when we uh, the person, one of the people I was working with was a Christian, and he kept saying to me, "Why don't you come to church with, on a Sunday? We at the Baptist Church. Why don't you come along?" I kept saying, oh, maybe I will one day, just to put him off. I didn't like to say no. Uh, I thought it would be a bit too rude. So I kept putting it off, but he kept asking week after week after week. Unknown to me, and uh, there was a nurse at where Anne was at the hospital in Banbury working, also saying to her, I go to the Baptist church, why don't you come along on a Sunday? And neither of these two people knew the other was asking, you know, the, the wife or husband so eventually we decided right we'll go just once and um, and then they'll stop asking just be free. so I went to church didn't understand anything can't couldn't understand the uh, message or anything and I thought well at least we've done the right thing uh, I hope and he, he won't ask me again but when we came out of the church, I remember there was a group of ladies there, elderly ladies, I guess about five or six of them, and um, I noticed that they had something. Their eyes were shining, and I thought, they've, they've got something. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but I'd like to have whatever it is they've got. And so it made me decide to go again and uh, we continued going um, we we were told this um, or invite Jesus into your heart and, and that was it now that didn't mean a lot in fact I'm not sure it actually expresses really what the gospel is about nobody mentioned repentance for example nobody mentioned about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ nobody and anyway one night, we'd had the children, one of the children by then, and in the Sunday evening, Anne used to go one evening, one Sunday, and I'd look after the children. Next Sunday, I'd go in the evening, and she would look after the children. We did that, alternated. One Sunday night, she went off, and um, I waited for her to get home, quarter to eight, which she always did. Quarter to eight came and went, eight o'clock came and went, I began to get worried then. And uh, subsequently, I heard her come into the front door. Now, my anxiety at this point gave me, I, I found myself getting cross. Where have you been? I, but before I could say anything, I looked at her face. It actually shone. And I think, when I look back now, if I turned the light off, she'd have lit the room up. <laughs> and I stopped in my tracks, and she told me that she'd gone out in response to the call of the gospel that night and um, when she went out we'd been going there so long people just thought she was going out to uh, be a counsellor and then they slowly dawned on them she was going out to receive Christ 
and um, and that that was truly amazing. Well, I kept giving my life to Jesus as best I knew how, but nothing happened. And then we moved down to Basingstoke, and uh, when we were down there, the minister said to me one day, Brian, would you give a testimony? I said, Oh. I haven't actually got a testimony. What I can say is I'm looking, seeking the Lord. He said, well, just say that then. So I went down, I went there that Sunday evening, uh, and he put a chair out the front and asked me to sit on it. I felt like I was going to my own execution. I thought, I've got nothing to say. And then he said, right, well, Brian's going to give us his testimony now. And I stood up like a man condemned. And... uh, I just said, well, I'm seeking the Lord, and uh, and that's where I am. And then I couldn't think of anything else to say. So I, I sat down. The, pa- the pastor jumped up and tried to make it sound a bit more interesting by filling in a bit more detail. <laughs> but an extraordinary thing happened. When I sat down, the power of God came, hit me, and I, I was saved on the spot. I found out re- later what it was. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ later and confess with your lips. And for the first time in my life, I confessed something. And it wasn't a wonderful confession. It was just simply a statement. And I got saved. And for a whole week, I was wandering around in a daze. <laughs> I felt I'd been enclosed in the love of God like swaddling clothes. Yeah. My wife was astonished at what happened to me, and it's it, and, and we've been going on with God ever since. Wow, 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 wow! Amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, three years later, you started your own business. Uh, what was the uh, business, and how did God lead and direct you in it? Yeah, um, there was a. a one of the things is this, I, I, I'm probably slightly entrepreneurial in, that's one of the, part of my nature I suppose. And um, I, I noticed um, there was a gap in the market in something. I used to go around looking at planning registers to get information about um, new buildings that were being planned so that I could contact them and say look you know we we do overhead cranes and things like this Uh, are you uh, could we quote for an overhead crane if you're planning one and as I used to go around the planning registers they're all over the country there was usually a little queue behind me or in front of me and I thought I'm sure if one person did this and sold the information to the others this would save everybody some time so I began to think maybe there's a business here and so what I did, I did a dummy run on that and did uh, all, visit all the planning offices in Hampshire, Dorset, Berkshire and Sussex. And sure enough, there's a lot of information. So uh, I, I met a, another man who became my partner, who was a Christian, and we started this business um, and it slowly took off. We sold the information to people like builders, electricians, heating and ventilating engineers, anybody to do with this with the construction industry, and um, and, it, and it began to take off. and uh, And we sold it um, 
19 years later for 4.2 million. Goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> you have got a slightly entrepreneurial spirit, uh, an amazingly entrepreneurial spirit. Now, you, you, having sold your business, you then started a new one, this time with your sons. Um, so just a general question, really. Um, did you have to twist their arms to join you in the business? And what has it been like working with your sons? Okay. Uh, no, I didn't have to twist their arms. They were uh, very happy to come with me. In fact, they were with me part of the time in the previous business. Um, but, uh, um, no, I, I didn't. They were very keen for us to do something. And we met uh, in this house uh, 30 years ago to think, what should we do for a living? And, uh, and we sat down to think about it. Now, at that time, they were promoting the EU and saying, Please get involved if you're a business in the EU. There's a lot of business to be had, complete opposite to Brexit. And, uh, that they, um, and so I thought, hmm, that's interesting. If we could help companies sell into Europe, we could go and help them find agents and things like that. Maybe we could do that. So it, what you do if you're looking for a business, you find a wave to surf in on. And so you don't, you know, you, you've got to find a wave. All you've got to do in surfing is find a wave and stand on the board. You haven't got to start paddling like mad. So you haven't got to make the wave. So you've got to look for a business wave, and that was it. And it started us looking for business partners for people. And then they began to ask us, um, do you sell companies? And we said no, but we noticed that selling a company uh, was... Uh, a, a real way we'd like to go because when I sold the previous business I, I used one of the big London companies and I was shocked at how bad they were um, They, I had to do all the work and they gave me 50,000 bill at the end of it so that's the kind of business to be in for somebody I but, um, I, I, so we knew pretty well what was involved um, selling a company is essentially a marketing operation not an accountancy operation. I mean, people go to their accountants to sell their business, but they don't expect their accountants to sell their products because that's not their scene. And if they're going to sell the most valuable asset they've got in, in life, then they should really use marketing expertise, which is what our core skill is. Mm. We, can employ, we can employ accountants and all the others. But, and so we started this, and it really did take off rapidly. Wow, wow, wow. And um, today, uh, you oversee a company uh, that operates in five continents and employs some 260 people. I mean, that really is incredible. <laughs> that really is incredible. Um, to, I've got two questions related to To what would you attribute this growth? First question. And secondly, how do you live as a follower of Christ in the business world? If I, if I take the first one, the second one first rather, um, first of all, being in business doesn't mean you have to be uh, somehow uh, unscrupulous or, or uh, you don't have to be uh, money orientated or so on. 
I, I found it, in business, the, the successful way of running a business is what I often describe as the upside-down pyramid. If you remember, on a pyramid, they, it starts at the top, and that's where the managing director usually is, and everyone below him is below that. But if you turn that pyramid upside down, it puts the manage, managing director at the bottom and the people above him. So his job, the managing director and his managers, is to come under people and say, what can we do to help you? What ideas have you got? We, how can we improve uh, production? Or how can we improve our systems? And so on. So, and it's a coaching thing, not a bossing thing. And in that, people thrive. Um, because it gives them a chance to, rather than working uh, under all your instructions, it gives them an opportunity to be creative themselves. And it creates goodwill in the company. And, uh, and, and that works very well. We also believe in integrity and everyone wants to work for someone where integrity is important to them. Um, I always take this view. If the world can make a go of business without God, why can't we make a go of business with God? We've got the best, we've got the best advantage of anybody if you've got God with you. And so we did. We just worked on Christian principles and it works in business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, so what sort of principles are you talking about, would you say? So you've mentioned integrity, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's this. I remember saying to somebody once, we're thinking of promoting him to a management position. I said to him, listen, we're thinking of promoting you, but we promote people downwards. How do you feel about that? You're not going to be over people, you're going to be under them. Encouraging, uh, uh, coaching, and things like this. And so I said, we don't promote people otherwise if they can't understand that. And so he said, yes, he was happy with that. And he did, in fact, become a manager and quite a good one, too. I remember yeah. so, so, so that's important. But, but the other thing I would say is this. For me, business is being excellent. Business, definitely. God uses business to grow your character. Work, people people going to work God uses work to grow their character and um, and, and that, that's an ideal place to grow character I find that this worked for me it's changed me uh, all the stresses and strains have changed me uh, so it's good work is of God yeah 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 now to people listening to this um, and I, I'm going to be encouraging those people that I know in business uh, to listen to it um, what, uh, particularly for those that might maybe wanted to grow their own businesses, what what advice would you give them? Well, I've been asked one question a number of times um, by people about to start a business. I think the principle remains the same. Um, what should, if I'm starting a business, is anything I should um, cons- take into account? What, I, what should I consider? Uh, my number one advice is this make sure you've got a good marriage if your marriage is in trouble don't start a business it's going to be hard enough it needs the two of you being united together 
to be able to handle all the stresses and strains. So get your marriage, make sure you've got a good, strong marriage. And I'm very grateful because um, Anne, my wife, has always stood alongside me um, like a rock beside me through all the lows and the highs of the business. So your, your home relationship is absolutely essential. I, I would say that's the number one and probably number two as well. <laughs> wow. Uh, I wasn't expecting that, but uh, that's wonderful advice, of course, because I guess if your marriage is not uh, strong, then you're going to be div- your attention is going to be diverted. That's what you're going to be thinking about. You're going to be worried what's going on at home. Uh, and actually, you're not going to be able to give your best at business. Is that what you're, you're saying, really? Uh, yeah, probably more than that, because if your marriage is not home, it sucks you dry emotionally and you need emotional strength to run a business it actually running a business is an emotional experience it's got highs and lows and plenty of them and quite often low upon low upon low <laughs> you just you you need someone rock solid beside you um a number of times my wife has I've come home and I've found I'm walking into an oasis which I needed I didn't want to walk into another emotional problem so I've never had to do that I thank God for that mm. that's why I know God's given me the right wife absolutely <laughs> the right wife and, and the other thing is um, as, a wife, as a right wife I mean we've always loved each other um and that's always been solid right the way through. And mm. I'm glad about that. Yeah. Especially in view of my history, if you like. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you and your wife, Anne, uh, through your business, sponsor a school in India, uh, which has over 500 pupils. Uh, and you also sponsor 50 orphans and widows. Um, why do you do this? And give us a flavor of this work. I said, so go over and hug them. I said, the same with lepers, go and hug them. 
We do. We hug lepers. They never forget it because nobody wants to hug lepers. Yeah. So hug them. That's ministry. Hmm. And um, at the same time, when we go to India, and well, when we were over there, we met one man called Farah Prasad, his name is. He's a pastor over there. And he always had a, uh, a desire to start something with widows and orphans, education. And um, you've got to find the right person to, if you're going to do something like this, because there's plenty of uh, rogue people around. And he, he, um, he, he definitely had that heart, and he is, in fact, heading up the work there. And we sponsor this, and it's grown to 500 children. What makes me, thrills me, is this. The children are mostly street children of the lowest caste who would not normally be educated. We run the school on a shoestring, really. And they're getting the best results in the city <laughs> against all the other schools. So these are children who would never be educated. And they're so oh. eager to learn that they've become the best. And is we're hoping this way that we can interrupt that uh, continuous um, program of people of their, them getting married, have, staying on the streets, and their children on the streets, and so on. The only way to interrupt that is to get them educated and then get a good job. Yeah. And then you can change their life. Oh, that is amazing. My three boys have been to India, uh, to an orphanage in southern India. And uh, again, dealing with kids of the lowest caste. I mean, it's difficult for us to understand that in our country, really, isn't it? Um, but uh, it, those experiences for each of the boys have profoundly impacted them. And they have a real heart and a love for India, actually, and, and the people of India. And, and a couple of my boys have been back to India. And who knows where the Lord will, will take them in the future with that. Now, now you, um, you cite two things that you love. The first is working alongside your sons. <laughs> And the other is preaching the gospel. Uh, you've just returned yourself from India, uh, where you preach the gospel in, in a number of different villages, and a number of people have made a commitment to Christ. Why is the gospel so important to you? And what place does the Word of God have in your life? I, I think the Word of it starts off with the Word of God, before I was involved in ministry, the Word of God uh, was very significant to me. When I got saved, it gave me a thirst for the Word of God. It definitely did. Um, so the, it was all terribly important to me. Um, one of the, so that, that was that. But the other thing is you do have to feed this thirst, because if you don't, you can lose it. And you have to feed it by reading the Word regularly every day. We've got one of those um, Bible reading plans where you read four chapters a day and you go through the Bible and then you start all over again and so on. Is that Murray McShane, is it, that one? It, no. it, it might be. Yeah, um, yeah. It, no, that's just the one that I know, yeah. Right. And it definitely keeps feeding you. I remember once we had a week's fast at our church it's a lot long time and it, it really was um, and as we started the fast uh, the first day was bearable 
The second day was tough. The third day, you were ravenously hungry. And the and on the fourth day, it eased a bit. On the fifth day, it did a bit more eased. And in the end, after seven days, I didn't actually feel hungry. <laughs> and um, I literally had to start eating before the hunger returned. And it's like that with the Bible. You stop reading it, you lose your hunger. If you want to regain it, start feeding again mm. and you can get the hunger back. You must have a hunger for the world if you're going to get involved in ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did that did that um, hunger grow? I mean, you know, have you have you continuously been reading the Word of God for over a long period of time? Yes. You have? Absolutely. You have? Years and years, yes, yes. Yeah. And um, what it does, uh, you get very passionate about the work of God from the Word of God. And um, I, I believe absolutely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says there that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto them that believe. Mm. There is nothing else in the world that is the power of God unto salvation, only the gospel. And the gospel is therefore terribly important. So when we go over there, we preach the gospel. It's, it's what amazes me. You haven't got to convince anybody of anything. You haven't got to plead with them. You haven't got to do anything. Preach the gospel, and the gospel does its own work. Yeah. And people start coming forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I've shared this a lot on this podcast and uh, about um, Paul's uh, letter to the Thessalonians, uh, commending them that when they received the word of God, they accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. And then it says, which is at work in you believers. So the word of God performs a work in people's lives. I love that Absolutely. verse. I love that verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as a ministry, um, uh, as uh, the ministry, you know, was founded a number of years ago, and uh, this is what is our passion. I can see, I can see as you were talking about that, you were getting very passionate, and uh, we're passionate too, because we recognise that uh, in our country, and I want to ask you in a minute uh, about how important it is for people in our country to be studying the Word of God, um, but. It's to equip people with the skills because often people say, well, the Bible's a big book. Where do I start? How do I do this? And of course, you know, you've got to make a start. But uh, as a ministry, we're giving people the skills and the tools to be able to do that in a very practical way. Uh, I know in my own life that there was a time when I wanted to read the Bible, but I didn't know how to read the Bible. And I needed some help and I needed a coach, as it were. And so uh, when we came across precepts many years ago, I thought, this is it. You know, I'm, I've been told I need to read the Word of God. I need to study it, but I don't know how to do it. And this is a ministry that's actually teaching people how to do that. And it's just wonderful to see the impact on people's lives as they engage with it. it there's something that, well, there is. It, there's a supernatural thing that happens. You know, the Bible is the Word of God. It's not the Word of man. And when you connect people to the Word of God, then God starts working in their lives in an incredible way. So what was once not possible in a person's mind or heart, all of a sudden becomes possible. And that's through the ministry of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is, it is dynamic, isn't it? And for those of you that are listening, um, that uh, listening to Brian's passion here and are interested to, to read and study the Bible, please contact us as a ministry. We are here to help you, support you in that. 
and um, you do not have to be the brainiest person in Britain to be able to read the Bible. Um, so I would exhort you to do that. Now, so my question is, how important is it today for people in this country to study the Word of God for themselves, particularly at this time? Absolutely essential. Um, the media is pumping out all sorts of negative stuff. Um, and uh, you, you've got to combat this. Everything going on, there's a lot of fear around. Um, because people are listening to the wrong voices. Um, I find this, to combat all this uh, negative uh, communications that are coming through, you absolutely got to soak yourself in the Word of God. It's the only way to combat it. Fill your mind with good stuff, not bad stuff. And, uh, and the other thing is, it's not just reading the Bible. You've got to meditate on the word. That's what the Bible says. Meditate means to chew it over. Uh, and to, when you're going out or going off in the car or whatever you may be doing, it's a good idea to think about what you've just read about and, and, and mull it over. Uh, in fact, um, I find I do this. It's actually essential because I do quite a bit of preaching. And I get a lot of... Uh, of um, of ideas as I as I meditate on the word and a lot of other um, passages of scripture come into my mind mm. uh, that reinforce what I've just been reading yeah fantastic now uh, do you have um, a favorite Bible book or character well the very first one I, I that was a favorite to me was Joshua the book of Joshua God spoke to me powerfully through that book uh, in the first chapter, actually, mm -hmm. um, it was Joshua one, and he said, "This we were going through quite a difficult time in the business at, at that point. We're in in the very first business. This was yep, and um, and I was reading Joshua one, and and he tells Joshua, you're going to cause these people to go up and possess the land, and then he said to him, be strong and courageous, and uh, that he would give him the land, but be strong and very courageous. He actually, uh, uh, said yeah, verse seven, yeah, yeah. So it, number one is very important. God wants us to be courageous, um, and that kind of struck a chord with me. Um, and the other thing was, he said, "For I will give you good success." And and that word leapt out of me, and I said to Anne, "It is a near prosper you," and that word. Prosper leapt out at me. I said to Anne, "You know, I think God's going to prosper us." And she said, "Oh." And, she, and we were really going through a difficult financial time at that moment. Um, we couldn't uh, uh, afford anything, you know. So, so, but I knew God had spoken to me on that. And um, that worked for those first ten verses in Joshua one. Hmm. Have always been highly, highly significant to me I know God spoke to me <laughs> and essentially of course and in verse 7 it, that is connected to the law isn't it because yeah. he said only be strong very courageous this is Joshua 1 verse 7 be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right or to the left exactly. that you may have success wherever you go so it's connected to the law the word the word of God isn't it Absolutely. to being careful to do it I, that struck me at the time and it, you know, 
it makes you think, God, that's you speaking to me. I don't want to depart, go to the left or the right. I'm a, I'm a plow a straight furrow yeah. on this one. Now, wonderful. Now, I understand that holiness is on your heart at the moment. Why, why is that, Brian? Why holiness? Well, I, I think there's two things that concern me at the moment in, in the body of Christ. Um, it, two, two, two things. I'm speaking shortly on the fear of God. That's important in, to the body of Christ, that they understand something about this. The second thing is holiness. Um, there's, a, there's a sense where the body of Christ needs to be wholly aware. We, we're getting to a point where the church can very easily start to live and draw in some ways of the world. We've got to be really careful of that. We could easily become that church that's neither hot nor cold. We've got to be hot. We've got to be uh, people who are holy. There's a division taking place right now between darkness and light, between holiness and unholiness. We need to make absolutely sure that we are a holy people. And if we are, our light will shine and the world will see it. But that is a responsibility for every Christian. Don't be drawn into worldliness. Beware of it. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, you have just reminded me of um, Acts. Uh, sorry, Romans, I mean. I mean Romans 12, verses um, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual service and then verse 2 do not be conformed to this world but by the transforming uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that uh, by testing you may discern what the will of God is what is good acceptable and perfect you have to be very careful what you think about yes what you think about the word that's the safest thing <laughs> amen amen Philippians 4 8 is another one isn't it think you know whatever is whatever is good whatever is you know think on these things absolutely now you are in your 80s Brian uh, yet you are not ready to retire uh, why are you not ready to retire and what is next for you and Anne well I'm certainly well, first of all, I find this business we're in very engaging. I like it. I find it exciting. And so uh, I really am not prepared to walk away from that. Uh, having said that, I only do about um, a couple of half days or maybe three half days a week, although I've got access to all the emails and everything else that go on and so on. So I, and I get involved with the board meetings, obviously, and things like that. But um, I, 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 I think probably it's not a case of retiring it's a case of moving across to do something else and I feel at this point in time a great passion for preaching um, the gospel in, where that's applicable but also to preach holiness righteousness faith grace 
and all these other things, mm. um, which is going to make people stronger. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we. One of the things I just said this. One of the things you've probably heard this before. A preacher is not there to make Christ acceptable to sinners. He's there to show sinners how to be acceptable to Christ. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, just before we close, I'm reminded of this uh, verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brian, I would really like to thank you for appearing on the podcast today. It's been, seriously, it's been a privilege for me to just have a window into your uh, amazing life uh, from what you shared right at the beginning and uh, for how the Lord has led you uh, and your faithfulness to him and what God is doing through you in the lives of countless other people, not just in this country, but overseas as well. And I just pray blessing on your preaching engagements. I pray that as people listen to you, they're stirred um, to repentance, as you say, uh, to receive Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then to do what God has um, got for them to do. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Series 6 of the Bible Me podcast by Preset Ministries. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review. For more information on the inductive study method or any of our online resources or downloads, please visit www.precept.org.uk. But until next time, thank you for listening.